Today's program is brought to you by Heritage Foods USA, the nation's largest distributor of heritage breed pigs and turkeys. For more information, visit heritagefoodsusa.com. I'm Greg Blaze, host of Cutting the Curd. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Severin. Hi there, Severin. Greenhorns Radio, Radio for Young Farmers by Young Farmers. Today we're talking about young farmers in startup mode, uh, which we hope will be a continuing theme as we see more and more young people entering into managing their own businesses, having learned from others and then sprung forth to claim new territory and bring about land health and, of course, as the base layer for a new economy, uh, they're doing so provides the musculature and nerve scaffold um, for that economy to be more reactive and adaptive and responsive and resilient to our changing climate and changing um, mandates on this planet. Uh, Anson, I'm very impressed with your mastery of the media. Uh, you want to just introduce yourself and explain how you got such good web skills? Oh, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, I am in Whitefield, Maine. I arrived here uh, back in April, and I've been farming for about five years now. I grew up in eastern Massachusetts and uh, east of Boston and uh, went west to grow food at a Buddhist retreat center uh, about about four years ago. And since then, I, I grew food for the kitchen there. Uh, I moved down to Sebastopol and managed a small CSA at the Permaculture Skills Center in Sebastopol. So, so here you are, you're five years in, which is kind of an appropriate amount of moment to start thinking about small business for many people, um, although some people are more brazen and reckless and visionary and risk-taking, and other people are more methodical and that those are personal choices. Um, lay out a little bit, if you could, the context for your entrepreneurial endeavor there in Whitefield, Maine, which is becoming kind of a hot spot of new enterprise and really, I'd say, a great peek into the emergent diversity of Maine young farmers. Tell us a little bit about Whitefield scene. Absolutely. Uh, it's been very interesting to, to arrive there. I'm, I'm noticing all around there are young farmers joining in on the local food movement. Uh, farmers like uh, Uncas Farm and the Sheep's Got General in Whitefield. Uh, there's, there's Crooked Door. There's all sorts and opportunities uh, coming up in Maine for uh, for farmers to get involved in, and produce food, uh, and I, I feel very grateful to be out there and be able to put energy into into my project. Uh, I uh, am leasing five acres and am going into largely into greens production, culinary herbs. Uh, I'm starting up a UPIC husk cherry patch 
and uh, we'll be growing garlic and microgreens. And I, I would say, yeah, I'm, I'm going about it in a very methodical way. I think that one of the things that uh, is very uh, particular about what I'm interested in doing is integrating seed stewardship into the, the food production. So let's talk a little bit about the economics of microgreens. You know, you're there in central Maine. People who don't know, Whitefield is, you know, it's kind of not the close to, to the, um, the coastal cities. It's further in. And, uh, you know, potentially from a, from a Kennebec River corridor perspective, from a corridor tra of trade perspective, the, guy, the fact that you guys are all clustered there next to the Sheep Scott General Farm, which is already serving as an aggregator, makes you potentially a perfect little hub um, for trucking food in different in different directions or boating food. Uh, what? How does how do micro, microgreens fit into that mix? And why did you make the choice to focus on microgreens? Um, I I chose to focus on microgreens. Uh, well, the farm itself is. Uh, an hour north of Portland, so it's accessible uh, to to a major food hub. There's uh, Augusta, 20 minutes away. There's the the coastal region, which uh, in Maine during the summers is uh, heavily trafficked. And as far as microgreens go, it's a very uh, quick, uh, easy product to grow, uh, to bring to market, uh, with high value, and it's something that chefs at restaurants are, are looking for to, to dress up uh, their, their dishes for customers. Uh, and, I mean, as far as the other, the other side of that, I would say, is just the, the health benefits to, to microgreens themselves, uh, where the, the sprouts of these seeds are, are packed with proteins and vitamins uh, in, in very high percentages. So as more and more people are becoming attuned to their own health and well-being through very uh, strong focus on nutrition and the even micronutrition of the plant and these polyphenols and um, the the mineral content of their food and et cetera. Sorry, my brain's a little slow. You're saying that this is kind of a growing marketplace for us to capture as young farmers that we don't have to do high volume, high low value, you know, pounds of production only. That that can be complemented by, or in your case, you're focusing in. Uh, some of these low-volume, high-food-value crops. Exactly. Uh, and, I mean, the microgreens themselves, what I would say about them as far as what I'm interested in is I see it as a, a way of doing the seed-saving work uh, that I'm interested in. Uh, microgreens, one of your biggest costs with them is the seeds themselves. And so I'm interested in growing seeds on site that then are, are feeding back into the microgreen uh, production itself and being able to offer up extra seed uh, to local gardeners, local, local growers. Uh, 
let's talk about that because I've been hearing a little bit of pushback and slackity fluckadello about how all this kale boom that we're experiencing right now and kale chips and kale juice and, you know, like Pepsi makes, uh, is it Pepsi that owns Bold House Farms and they have, anyway, there's just like a real big kale boom on and then there's a kale seed shortage and microgreens just use up a lot of seed for, you know, relatively little plant material compared to letting a plant come to maturity in, in the case of kale, harvesting it for a super long amount of time. Uh, maybe you could talk about the biological life cycle of your microgreen seeds and how dealing with this high volume of seeds can be actually a benefit or a bonus um, for seed sovereignty work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they growing for seed, the plants are, are definitely in the ground far longer. Um, and like like you said, there there is uh, a high need for for seeds for for growing. It's it's definitely there. That I think growing them on site and and sort of closing that loop as far as as production goes is is important. Uh, and as far as benefits to uh, the farm itself. One thing that I think about in terms of integrating seed saving is how it can uh, play a role in, as, as one component to integrated pest management, where out, out in the, the, the farm plots this year where I'm, I'm trialing some varieties, varieties are going to seed, uh, I've definitely noticed uh, that as, the, as some of my plants are going to seed, I notice uh, that some of the beneficial insects are there and they're able to use, they're able to have a, a place to forage for, for pollen and nectar that then allows them to survive and uh, protect some of my other crops that are having pest issues. Things like the, uh, the main thing I would say is uh, my personal potato crop is absolutely uh, covered with uh, Colorado potato beetle larva. And as, as my as time has gone on and I've allowed those plants to go to seed, I notice that uh, I'm getting increased amounts of, of ladybugs and increased amounts of uh, lacewings and hoverflies that are, are predating. So all of this is integrated virtue work and economic feasibility and the new territory for you and all of the different skills that it takes to get started up. Um, I'm really impressed because you reached right out to us and you made a really great website and you're making a crowd campaign and you're just like chugging along in a way that not, um, not all young farmers are skilled at doing. And I wonder, is that you or have you made friendships uh, or kinships that are your friends and allies in deploying uh, into media world. And, and, and then the kind of a secondary question to that is, how effective has it been? Um, it looks nice and slick. Is this the way that your friends and family and kind of broader networks are going to be put, putting money where, where you're wanting to feed their mouth? Um, and just kind of some of the pros and cons as you're experiencing it in real time of this kind of social media base. 
uh, mm. startup funding, community community finance? Well, I'd, I'd say first and foremost, I feel very uh, grateful this year to have the time to really uh, set up the back end of the farm, both in terms of on the ground setting up the farm plots, but also doing the social media. I think that uh, in in today's farming world, the a website is one of the first things that your your customers see, whether that is going to be uh, individual customers for a farmer's market or a place to uh, to send chefs after you you make that first visit so i've been thinking i i've I've put a lot of thought into it and a lot of time into into the website and into the uh, the barn raiser campaign that I've put together. Uh, and the, the website I did entirely myself. Uh, I uh, used Squarespace, which was extremely helpful. I had done WordPress in the past building websites and uh, operating on a, uh, with a website that really you know, gives you a template that you can then uh, fill with your content and, and customize, but it, it's uh, far more intuitive. It's definitely helpful. You get a nice, clean appearance. Uh, the Barn Raiser campaign, uh, I had the help of my friend uh, Michael Zelligs in uh, Sebastopol, where I was living previous to, uh, to coming out here. Uh, he helped shoot the video uh, over the course of a, a day, and there was a, a bit of pre-planning with that. Uh, and uh, you know, having the, this time this year where I'm, I, I'm working for my friends uh, helping to set up their sheep farm, uh, have that income. It, it's allowed me to then take the time to not worry about uh, producing for market this first year for Full Fork and to be able to put that time uh, into acquiring equipment, getting the bed set up, getting the campaign together, that I've, been, uh, I've had the time to be able to reach out to friends and family in my network uh, to contribute to the campaign and get the money to get everything going. Sorry, that was the wind. Did you hear? Was it too noisy or are you okay? No, I heard. Okay, good. So, okay, so reaching out, getting the word. Uh, let's talk a little more just about the psychology maybe of the self-promotion, but also of being alone in a startup and if people who are watching you are not in a place to support you financially and slash the larger community, which now has to deal with another person trying to launch themselves, maybe a little bit of that community approach, not in the commercial space or the capital space, but in the solidarity space, um, what are you feeling about that, or what are your needs, or can you, how can are you other people? Explain that a little bit further. I don't, I don't fully understand it. Like, um, you're putting yourself out there uh, to raise to raise a new business up and to raise capital, but what are your non-capital needs, and how um, how can the community, both digital and in person, be a best welcomer of yet another new business in the area? Mm. Um. The well, I would say, I don't know if this fully answer is really getting at what you're saying, but uh, coming into into Whitefield itself, one thing that I, I've really had a lot of appreciation for is the uh, 
the support of the community there, the farming community, where uh, I, like, getting started, uh, one of the neighbors helped to initially till the soil um, and has helped to mow uh, the pasture that, that abuts it to keep uh, the, the grass there from, from going to sea and, and, you know, the support of, of just the knowledge base uh, there in the town uh, as I sort of get into the, the Northeast growing rhythm because it, I mean, I grew up in the Northeast and I've grown food here, but it's been some time since I've, I've spent uh, a, a significant period in, in uh, this sort of growing, like this, these growing conditions, shorter, shorter growing season, uh, cold springs, different pests, and sort of have the, uh, that community support as far as the knowledge base goes has been extremely helpful. Uh, and I've had some support in terms of, uh, you know, just having some starts provided. Uh, that's that's been there. Uh, as far as uh, support for the broader network and community, um, in terms of the you know family and and friends of, of my, I, I'm absolutely blown away by the the support that I've received so far getting the the campaign launched. Well, speaking of launching, I want to make sure to uh, alert everyone who is in Whitefield and you in particular about the August 11th event for Maine Sale Freight. We're having a full afternoon of activities and songs and history and boats. It's August 11th on the Kennebec River and uh, in the town of Hollowell at the public park during the farmer's market. It's yet another of our self freight events, and it's open to the public, free for families, free for everyone. Come enjoy your shopping and listen, listen in on this emerging discourse, which uses the technology of sale uh, and the economy of sale of our trading and maritime history of our colonial period, colonial economy of the 19th century resource extraction economy as a platform for discourse about the new economy and emerging economy as we're surrounded by a kind of a scar tissue ecology that is the remnant of that earlier period of lumber and stone and uh, quarrying and mining and um, export agriculture of canned corn and canned beans and canned fish and um now looking at a process of sustaining uh, an economy of natural resource economy that's a more mixed economy, uh, this is a place for this conversation and also especially for little young people to play uh, to play with the materials of history in their minds as materials that can get reshuffled in a new and different way for their own shaping of what's a possible future. So I hope you'll come down and bring the whole tribe. Sheepscot General will be there. Um, and then, of course, on uh, August 27th, we load up in Portland. There's a great stevedore dinner, fancy dinner, thanks to David Levy from Vinland. Um, there's a fancy dinner in Portsmouth. There's a 
fancy dinner in Boston, and then there's a bunch of non-fancy dockside happenings and panels. So it's quite a detailed amount of programming. It's an epic amount of organizing, and we hope that you may engage, dear listeners, uh, dear Mainers, by walking over and hanging out uh, where the land meets the water. Any last uh, announcements you want to make before we sign out? Uh, just if you're you're interested in finding out more about the farm, about uh, the practices happening there, uh, you can go to fullforkfarm.com. Uh, I yeah, thanks so much for having me on. And you can support Ensign's campaign to raise cash for his Indiegogo barn raiser. What's it called? It's barn raiser slash cash. I forget what it's called. Will you tell them the information? Yeah, if you go if you go to fullfork.com, uh, you can find there's a link right to the barn raiser site. Rockin', go barn raiser, go young farmers, go summer, go blackberries. Bye, bye everybody. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.